Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And our goal on these SALT Talks is the same as our goal at our SALT conferences, which we're excited to resume in September of 2021 here in our home of New York City. And our goal at those conferences and on these SALT Talks is to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts, as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. And we're very excited today to welcome Michael Grieve to SALT Talks. Uh, Michael is one of the most successful founders of the German-speaking internet industry. Together with his brother, Matthias, he created numerous ventures, including lastminute.de, uh, which he turned into the largest last-minute travel site in Germany. Most notably, the brothers founded web.de, and after a successful IPO, grew it into one of the country's most successful and largest internet portals and online media businesses. After the successful sale of his companies, Michael created the seed stage venture capital investment firm Kazoo uh, that came to fund and mentor some of Germany's most promising tech startups, including Babel, Staffbase, and Mambu. Hosting today's talk is Dr. Dina Radinkovic, who's a partner at the SALT Fund, which is an early stage uh, venture fund and left investing in pro programmable biology, primarily life sciences, healthcare industry. Uh, now I'll turn it over to Dina for the interview. Thank you, John. And thank you, Michael. I'm really delighted to share the stage with you today. Thank you for finding the time and calling us from um, Germany. So perhaps we could start, obviously you have an incredibly interesting story and we'd like to find out more about it. But when John was telling your bio to kind of start with, you are one of the most successful German tech entrepreneurs. Could you start by telling us a bit more about your early career? Like, how did you become the most successful German tech entrepreneur, your brother, Matthias? How did you come to develop lastminute.de that you sold to last minute? And then um, how did that evolve to create WebDE? Oh, yeah, that's... Uh, um uh, yeah, an interesting story there because um, uh, actually I was my, my brother and I we were always very very interested in technology and and I mean we've lived through all these cycles of the the tech world, basically owning one of the first Apple II computers in Germany, uh, teaching ourselves programming. Um, we both dropped out of university because we thought it's not that interesting to just learn stuff that numerous people already did before and started our own software business and went through different stages and um, did software projects, uh, did software development for the Macintosh and, uh, and a lot of stuff. And then um, at some point in time, this internet thing started and, um, and uh, I was so excited about that. And uh, that was really, really the super early days. So we had one internet hub in Germany that was in, at the in, um, University of Karlsruhe, that was our hometown. And um, I bought myself an, 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 uh, a PC for, for uh, uh, 86 uh, computer and you had to very SEO Unix, so very, very complicated everything and your ISDN dial up networking. And, but I got ourselves an internet connection and the, one of the hubs in Germany was the University in Karlsruhe. So we made a deal with them that we could dial into the whole thing. And then we played a bit around with that and then we saw the potential of the technology and then we decided, okay, let's become an internet company. And we stopped all of our other business and said, okay, now we're going to be an internet company. 
And uh, we were super excited about that thing. And um, we went to, to CBIT, to the big computer fair by then. And we were on a small, um, uh, we had a small booth there on, on a shared booth with a big sign. Our company was called Synetic. And we said full service internet and um, advertised that. And uh, we went all over the show and talked to all the big companies. And there was so early, everybody says, oh, internet, we don't need that thing. Or we have an IT department. And yes, we have a server uh, for our Microsoft stuff, but we don't need this internet thing. So actually nobody wanted to have us. And uh, the, the, right next to us, there was another small booth with, with the Greek guy, Emmanuel, and he wanted to sell travel uh, by using ISDN to transfer the last minute bookings over ISDN into PCs that were set up at, um, at, the, uh, at, at the travel agent, at travel agencies, and nobody wanted to have him either. So <laughs> after the show, we said, hey, Emmanuel, we have to do something together. And then we said, uh, you want to do this travel thing, but ISDN is not the way to go. Let's do internet. And this is how we started lastminute.de. And uh, basically as, as, a, as a travel site and that by then people were still like, using modems to dial up to the internet. That was really, really early. And um, we also started an agency business. We said, okay, we're going to develop a website and do all that stuff. And, um, and the question that always comes up, came up was that people asking, but yeah, this internet thing, but how will people find us? And we told everybody for months, yeah, there's this company, you know, Yahoo, they have this directory and somebody's going to do something similar in Germany. And, um, but actually nobody did. And then after a few months, like three, four months, I said, okay, we have to change that. And uh, I wrote a little software to put to to create a web directory, and then we we just called in all our friends, and then uh, over a weekend we completely surfed the German internet. And by then there were two thousand websites in Germany, and we put these two thousand websites in a directory, and uh, put that online under the name of web.de, and this is how it started. And <laughs> from there it just grew. Fascinating. Well, all the factors for successful tech entrepreneurs, school dropout, learning all, being a bit discouraged about your idea initially, um, all the factors seem to be there. And um, how was it working with your brother? Uh, well, actually, we did. It was really good. So, I mean, he's somebody I fully trust and we built um, uh, web.de together, lastminute.de together. And, but when we sold last minute that the, uh, somehow our, our um, entrepreneurial ways parted, he stayed a bit with the company when we sold it uh, because we sold it to our biggest competitor and formed the largest internet business in Germany by doing so to compete better with Google and, and uh, uh, the American competition. And um, so now I'm uh, doing, we, we still have a shared office space and, but he's doing his things and I'm doing my things. Is there a lot of competition? Uh, between us? No, no, not at all. It's just the, uh, it's the, the on the contrary, we, we, have, we help each other a lot and we talk about our ideas and share. So uh, I just had lunch with him. So it's, it's really very, I'm, I'm really happy to have a very good connection to him. Well, that's wonderful. It seems that you had a great co-founder. And how was it obviously after um, having and selling your companies, you went into venture capital? And you had a very successful venture capital career as well by investing in some of the most promising Germany's tech startups like Babel, Stackbase, Bamboo, many others with Piso Technologies. So how was it for you that journey from an entrepreneur to a venture capitalist? And what are kind of the key take-home messages that you would say to founder turned uh, VCs? 
Oh, well, it actually was just taking it uh, to the next level another time because when we built Web.de, I mean, we started out as a three, four people team. And in the end, we have uh, we had 700 employees. And that was also why we, we sold it because it was simply no fun anymore to run such a big company because in the end, we really love to work with technology and drive things forward. And uh, if you start growing your company and, and, and you're, you're the CEO, I was the CTO. So you basically have your, all your product managers already that you're, and you have to coach them and make, make them successful. And uh, once we sold Web.de, it's just taking it to another level because we, we, we don't see ourselves let, let just as financing people, but we really help them to be successful. So this is our key uh, approaches. We see ourselves uh, as part of the founding team. We, we coach them, we mentor them. We really help them to build the equity story. And this is what I also uh, enjoy most. It's, for me, it's not about, it was never about the money, but it, about the story that we could build, the success that we could create. And of course, in the end, it really pays off if you create something with a great story that's very successful and with a lot of passion. So, and uh, yeah, that's what we did in, in, in then in venture capital. I mean, it's, it's a bit unusual in Germany and in, in, in Silicon Valley, it's the normal way to go. So once you're uh, are super successful and you have all that experience, also all the growing pains, you know, if you grow from three to 700, um, there are a lot of, there's a lot of pain involved in, in doing that. And you have to learn a lot of things the hard way. And, um, and I, had great, I had great coaches when doing that. Um, that really helped us along, and we just wanted to pass that on uh, and, and to be helpful in that regard to our startups. Well, it certainly turned out to be extremely fruitful, um, and uh, it's interesting to hear about your very hands-on approach with investing. Turning a bit more down the, the healthcare route, you mentioned that uh, you had a very unhealthy lifestyle of building your, your tech companies. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you tell us a bit more about that, and do you really think that we need to have a, a compromise between healthy lifestyle while we're building and, and working hard. And what's your view on that right now? Okay. So yeah, I had the super unhealthy lifestyle. It was like the epitome of a hacker. You, you really could, if you would do this in the movie, you, everybody would say, Oh really? Yeah. Uh, uh, that can't be true, but it was true. So I was 20 kilograms overweight, no sports. I was smoking three packs of cigarette a day. I had two Red Bulls for breakfast uh, I had a bottle of red wine in the evening to calm down, coffee all day, uh, uh, so smoking, 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 and meetings all day, and uh, had a lot of fun working seven days a week, uh, like 16 hours or so, and uh, of course, that was not super healthy, and at some point, uh, particularly after we sold web.de and went into venture capital, I said, okay, this has to change. And, uh, and uh, because I want to stay healthy, this is, uh, I say, okay, I can't go on like this. I didn't have, have had any issues, but it became apparent that it, I couldn't go on like this. And to answer your second question, um, no, I don't think you have to compromise nowadays. I mean, 20 years ago, that was a wholly, totally different story. Um, to feed yourself, uh, to have a healthy diet or so, that was something that was really uncommon by then. Um, nowadays, I mean, you have organic food everywhere. You can have paleo restaurants in, your, in the cities. And um, so it, it's much easier from the environment to, to have a healthy lifestyle. But still, it's a challenge because if you're really passionate and working on your thing, um, to find the time to exercise, to meditate, to sleep, and to do all these things, it's a challenge, yeah. 
Fascinating. No, I mean, for, for sure. And uh, a lot of young people would say that they have to optimize for performance and that it's fairly easy to focus on health and lifestyle and wellness once people have a lot more time and resources on their hands. But obviously, being a medical doctor by background, knowing that heart disease and atherosclerosis starts in adolescence, I'm very keen to kind of support this new wave of uh, found, well-founded companies that have wellness uh, at its core. And I, I think you, you totally explained it well, that it's we have now higher awareness. It's a bit more, it's a bit easier to do that, right? So how has your lifestyle changed right now? You mentioned a bit of meditation. I don't know, you mentioned you had lunch. I don't know if you've had time restricted feeding. Was it later in the day? Tell us a bit more about your longevity practices as, oh, as yeah. a champion in the field. Yeah, I, generally I, I have a, 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 a very well uh, organized schedule around that. So I, I uh, I have my morning rituals. I uh, I meditate. I do uh, yoga or Pilates in the morning. Um, I do my stretching exercises. I do a gratitude journaling. I do do affirmations. So all the psychology goes with that as well. Uh, I get my eight hours of sleep. I have a very good sleep hygiene and all these things. And and uh, yes, I have a very clean diet um, as well. So uh, I uh, look out for that uh, as well. Yeah. Okay, well, you're definitely practicing what you preach. And when you launch Forever Healthy, I mean, Forever Healthy is an organization that does many things. So um, it, it's a quite ambitious project. You fund research at numerous institutes across the world. You do a lot of science education. So you run a conference, um, Undoing Aging, that has now been moved for um, the spring of 2022. Um, you also, what I found really interesting is that you kind of create this collections of medical knowledge bases and uh, resource, practical resources to kind of for the general public to help them learn about longevity medicine. Um, and um, obviously, you also create companies in the space. So which part of the Forever Healthy are, are you most passionate about and most involved on the day-to-day -day basis? Well, actually, I have to say all because right now, nowadays, I don't do anything anymore that I'm not passionate about. That's the, uh, well, it was always that way, but uh, it, it's it's clearly it's clearly that that, that 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 still that way. So I wouldn't do anything that 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 I'm not really passionate about. Um, yeah, Forever Healthy uh, is a mission-driven thing. Uh, we are completely private, financed by myself. Uh, 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 I don't call it. It's a humanitarian effort. Basically, it's about to enable people to extend their healthy lifespans. And um, in order to understand what we're doing, is to, if we have to understand what's going on in the world right now, especially in the world of, of, of science and, and, and medicine. So there are two really amazing facts. One is there is already a lot of uh, medical knowledge that could be that if we would use it, uh, we could use to, it to extend our healthy lifespans. But unfortunately, that knowledge is buried in research, spread out over websites, special communities, experts. So it's really, really uh, hard to access, it's even for medical doctors. So it's not really, to, really easy to access. That's one thing. And the other thing is that the world, uh, as we know it, where we were completely helpless about our aging process and uh, age-related diseases, has started the transition to a world where we have aging under full medical control and um, age-related uh, diseases are a thing of the past. Of course, we are not there yet, yeah? But the theoretical groundwork has been done. 
so we know actually we know what we have to do in order to counter aging and to to um, get rid of age-related diseases uh, on a theoretical basis. The basic research has started uh, more than a, a decade ago. Uh, we have the first research results, um, uh, and even the first startups are there that take these these initial results and try to turn them into therapies for human use. Of course, we are not there yet, uh, and we don't know how long this process will take. It's, 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 it's a decade-long thing. We don't know. Maybe it's 20, 30, or 40 years. And um, uh, But these two things together, the medical knowledge that's not, that's, that, that's not used and this beautiful uh, development of uh, actually being able to re rejuvenate people, taken together, that should enable us to extend our healthy lifespan quite dramatically if we use that in combination. So and that is what we want to do. We want to accelerate that process. And so what we do is on the one hand, we, use, we want to use all the knowledge that's there today to bring ourselves to the future. And on the other hand, we want to accelerate the future. So to bring the future faster to us. And um, this is also how Forever Healthy is structured. So one part of Forever Healthy is completely focused on what can I do today in order to extend my healthy lifespan, to lower the probability to have age-related diseases and such. And on the other hand is what can we do to accelerate this future? And for accelerating the future, we're running the Undoing Aging Conference. We are, um, uh, we are uh, funding research uh, on uh, the root causes of aging and what we can do about them together with the Sense Foundation. And we also create startups in, in, in that area. Um, because I think this, uh, the, 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 to uh, really accelerate the, the rejuvenation um, the availability of rejuvenation therapies, um, it's not enough to talk about this. I mean, if you talk to, about, about, to people about rejuvenation, it, it totally sounds like science fiction, you know? And, and, uh, it's, and, and you can talk as much as you want. People say, oh, okay, interesting. But actually, there's no emotional connection to that for, for most. So um, right from the get-go, my, my, my feeling was we have to deliver proof. And this is what we have set out with our venture capital company, because I've turned my venture capital company three years ago completely on rejuvenation biotech. And actually we want to deliver proof and we want to prove that rejuvenation um, is not um, uh, science fiction anymore. And we also want to prove that uh, rejuvenation is not only for the rich, it's for everybody. Um, we want to prove that it's uncomplicated and we also want to prove that's the best business model ever. And, and when I talk about rejuvenation, we have to understand there's, there's not going to be one pill or one shot that you get. And uh, if you're 17, next morning you wake up, you're 30. It's not working that way, but uh, you have to understand aging. Aging is such a multifaceted process that you probably need like 50 or 60. Nobody knows how many different root causes and, and, and aspects we have to attack. But what we can do is we can attack one after the other and uh, reverse the damage that the body does to itself just because it's an operation and uh, reverse that step by step in order to extend a healthy lifespan. And this is exactly what we're doing with our startups. Fascinating. So many things to follow up uh, from what you've said. And I certainly believe that particularly in the, in the post-pandemic environment and in the current climate, people are more interested um, to firstly more health aware and more interested invested in healthcare and in biological aging. And often kind of the barriers to entry into this field both from capital and talent perspective um, is exactly what you've said, lack of education. So 
I think what you're doing both with the academic conference, but also with kind of creating content for the general public and kind of democratizing access to this high-end longevity medicine, which is just good preventative medicine, essentially, um, is really fascinating. And uh, that is another reason why we got really interested in your work. And you mentioned, obviously, that there will be multiple technologies um, that are going to focus on, on aging. And you've invested in about a dozen of longevity companies. And they each target, when one kind of looks at your portfolio, they each target a different pathway. Um, but often they have um, aging as an indication, and sometimes it's another chronic disease or that is associated with aging or, or cancer. Which of these pathways would you, would you highlight from your current portfolio companies? And then secondly, do you think that we have a fundamental problem that aging is not classified as an indication and hence Sometimes these companies, even when they have good technology and, and good pathway that makes sense, um, they're, they're very plausible biologically, but they can't go for aging as an indication. So they almost need to find a plan B, like another disease to go for. So they end up failing in clinical trials, even though the science is there, they're just not haven't managed to find the right fit. And how do you see that as a challenge in your current portfolio companies, but also in other companies in this field of rejuvenation biotech, as you called it. Okay, yeah, that's a very good question. So um, to answer your last question first, so um, uh, aging as an indication uh, is complicated. So because personally, I don't think that aging is a disease because um, uh, you, would, you wouldn't look at the house and say this house, house ages, the, the house has a disease. So aging is more a matter of physics. It's like the world, you know, uh, things age. It's things that just happen. So uh, there's deterioration. If something is an operation, if your car is an operation, um, it, it ages, but it, uh, it, there's not a single process that you can say this is aging. And uh, uh, so, and also we have really, we have an issue to measure aging. So there's not a good way to measure aging and to quant quantify aging. So, um, so in that respect, what we are going for is, is individual root causes. And there are some root causes that are directly linked to diseases. For example, um, uh, let me give you an example of what I mean. Uh, one of our portfolio companies, Underdog, um, we are trying to get uh, rid of heart attacks and strokes. So um, uh, in order to uh, understand what this has to do with rejuvenation is all the things that we see as age-related diseases, and for example, heart attack, stroke, and even cancer are age-related diseases because the, the prevalence goes up exponentially with age. So there's, there's uh, uh, virtually no child uh, at the age of 10 that has a heart attack, you know, but uh, when you age, the, 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 the probability, of course, go, goes up. And in the end, we have to see um, if we all would uh, become old enough, we will have all, all each individual age-related disease. It's just that one person dies of a heart attack sooner and the other person dies of cancer. But in the end, we all have this deterioration that leads to all the age-related diseases. So um, uh, I think there's, yes, it would be nice if we have aging as an indication, but I think there's lots of things that we can do with the current regulatory environment. And Underdog is a very good example. Um, uh, um, in order to understand what we are doing there is and, and how it relates to rejuvenation is you have to understand how does a heart attack or stroke comes to pass. So in our bloodstream, we have cholesterol, uh, and in particular LDL cholesterol, and that uh, cholesterol enters the arterial wall. 
And in the wall, uh, the cholesterol, the LDL is oxidized and it's uh, recognized by the body as a foreign entity. And to get rid of it, the body calls the immune system to help. So the immune systems uh, enter the arterial wall as well and it sees the oxidized co cholesterol and the immune system just uh, gobbles that up, the, the macrophages, the immune cells. And in the immune cells, you have a special uh, waste processing plant called the lysosome. And so the cholesterol is pro, uh, transferred to the lysosome. And in the lysosome, usually we have enzymes to break uh, uh, things that we don't want down, and then they can be processed and, and released to the body or be disposed of. Unfortunately, we don't have enzymes to break down um, oxidized cholesterol. In that case, it's seven keto cholesterol. So then the, the body is really smart. Uh, the, the immune cells in the lysosome has a plan B. So it says, okay, if I, cannot get, if I cannot break it down, I just keep it because it's harmful. So over time, uh, the macrophage and the lysosome and the macrophage gobbles up more and more of that uh, oxidized cholesterol and it grows. And then the lysosome grows and it, the, the, the macrophage grows and, and it, it turns into a so-called foam cells. And these foam cells, they make up the plaque in the arterial wall that grows first to the outside, then it grows to the inside of the artery. And at some point, the pressure is too high and the arterial wall ruptures. The plaque goes into the artery and the body sees uh, um, an injury and then the platelets come say, I have to fix that injury by sticking together. And then you get a blood clot, that blood clot closes up the artery and then you have your heart attack. So, um, so what we have done now, we have developed a compound. It's, it's a fu funny thing, it's a, it's a sugar. It's probably the, the most healthy sugar that you can think of. It's a cyclodextrin. And um, that compound is able, you, is able to, through the bloodstream, enter the arterial walls, enter the macrophages, enter the lysosome, grab the seven-keto cholesterol and transport it out of the whole thing and makes it disposable by the body. And by this, we, uh, turn the macrophages back into normal immune cells, deflate the plaque, and no plaque, no heart disease. So basically what we do is we rejuvenate the, 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 the arteries by removing the, the, the plaque and restoring the youthful state. And it's a very good example of how rejuvenation works. Uh, um, we just remove stuff or we fix uh, stuff that breaks and that the body cannot uh, repair on its own. And by doing so, um, we uh, no plaque, no heart attacks. So let's say 80 to 90% of heart attacks are due to um, uh, uh, plaque. Some are uh, due to arterial cramping, but most of them are to, uh, due to plaque. So, um, so this is how the technology works and it's already pretty successful. So we've already demonstrated that we can grab the cholesterol, the seven keto cholesterol from foam cells and deflate them. So that's pretty cool. So now for accessibility, imagine you turn this into a, um, so in, into a, a pill that, uh, and that is our vision, a pill that in average costs $10 a month to swallow so. And, uh, and this is also the, the, the big difference from the old type of doing medicine where, you, where the paradigm was making sick people healthy again. I think we are at, at, the, at the verge of a transition and the new rejuvenation technology will allow us to do this transition to a completely new paradigm in medicine, which is keeping healthy people healthy instead of fixing things when things are broken. And so what I envision is a therapy that everybody over 35 can take that would just prevent the buildup of plaque. Um, it's, an, it's a pill you swallow daily. And if, they, if you have that pill, no plaque, uh, no heart attack, no stroke, beautiful thing. 
And uh, our vision is that we can produce this pill for an average, let's say $10 a month, um, uh, uh, maybe a bit more expensive in the Western world and therefore in developing countries, let's say in India, maybe it's only $1 a month. But in the end, you have to see that we are talking about instead of a disease population, we're talking about everybody over 35, 40, which is 4 billion people on the planet. And that also shows you that um, it's going to be a super good business to keep healthy people healthy um, because take 4 billion people that spend an average $10 a month, that's $40 billion per month, $480 billion a year, um, let's say times 10 or 20 for a decent company valuation. So we are talking about a market capitalization for the companies att attacking just this aspect of aging between five and $10 trillion just for that. I don't say this is going to be one company, but that's the potential of the market. And that's also something that we want to prove that this is a, a beautiful business model and a, a, a beautiful thing on your humanitarian uh, side as well. Fascinating. Well, I mean, Michael, you have quite a few interesting companies in your portfolio and you obviously kind of target most of the nine hallmarks of aging and a few additional things. You have a company on mitochondrial health, you have a company in analytics on uh, telomerases, you have a company looking at um, cancer, you have a company with messenger RNA technology, which is obviously um, extremely interesting with the success of messenger RNA vaccines for SARS-CoV-2. Um, but what I find uh, fascinating is the, the different approach that you're taking. So um, just kind of to set a bit of a background is that for, for a big group of people in this uh, aging research community, one of the necessary parts that needs to happen is the development of surrogate markers of aging. So they almost say like if you, I mean, going with the, the old one that if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. They would say that it, nothing really major can happen in rejuvenation and biotech until we can quantify aging. And then we can slow in real time clinical trials over conducted over five to 10 years that the disease, that aging is actually reversed. So um, it's, it seems that you're saying that actually we don't need to wait for the surrogate markers. We can start reversing these processes for chronic conditions associated with aging right now. Um, and when these come, they can kind of, will incorporate them, but they're not necessary. Um, and uh, the other thing is how do, what people often say is like, can we really fit these longevity companies into the standard venture capital model, right? Like, can they be as as profitable as, I mean, you were in software and now you're turned into rejuvenation. So often venture capitalists say like, yes, that sounds very interesting, but I can't, it's never going to be the same, the, you know, it, it, within the timeframes of a life of a VC fund, it won't be profitable. It's more risky. Um, I mean, we focus very much on programmable biology um, because we kind of use technology um, and, and computational to solve problems in biology. So we believe that the, the angle there is that it has a shorter translation time because it is in the spectrum. Whereas you have some really, really strong um, rejuvenation biotech companies. So kind of going back from being a VC with software companies, hands-on investment, how do you, how does that change when you, when you go to rejuvenation biotech? And you mentioned one aspect of making it profitable is essentially ensuring that everyone, every adult should take it. Maybe we'll have it for, for, for every person um, to kind of even stop stop aging. But what are the other aspects that you think can be incorporated to make this more attractive for, for the standard venture capital industry, not just 
yes, it's a good cause and it's advancing the field, but you revert to second one, okay, there is a bigger market because everybody ages at a certain pace. Um, is there anything else in addition we can make aging research, particularly more biotech play, more fit for the VC model? Or on the other hand, do we need to change the financing model in order to advance this field? So yes, yeah, uh, the latter. So um, first of all, um, uh, uh, I think one has to understand, and I strongly believe um, the rejuvenation biotech industry and the shift, the shift in paradigm medicine, keeping healthy people healthy is going to be the biggest industry this planet has ever seen. So um, it, it is, uh, I mean, if you look at, uh, 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 compare uh, the, the value of having a, a nice mobile phone to, to what it's personally worth to you to know, I'm not going to age, I'm not going to have cancer, I'm not going to have a heart attack, I'm not going to have... So what, what is the, the difference between this and that? So what would you be willing to, to pay per year for having all this youthful health for a long, long time versus a new phone? And now you see one company uh, doing a phone has a market cap of $2 trillion. So that's one thing. And as you said, is um, uh, in general, for a VC or for, for, from an investment per, uh, perspective, um, this is going to be the best business ever. I'm, I'm absolutely uh, 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 in, in for that. Um, yes, financing might have to change. I think that um, the, um, but um, if you come from a, a dip, it, it is not the conventional biotech play, I totally agree. But tech investors really get this uh, approach that we are doing. So we're seeing a lot of interest from the crypto industry, from other tech investors. And also from my fund is um, we, are, we don't have partners. So we're just uh, investing my own money and we're taking a very long-term view on the thing. So um, we are thinking about 10, 15 years. Um, and, but there are people who can take that view. And especially in the tech world, there's a lot of money available. And I think what it needs, and this is what we also try to do is by doing these companies and by showing what is possible to excite other people. And in the end, it's just a matter of risk reward. Yes, it's super risky what we're doing. And it's especially risky uh, what we are doing because we focus on category openers. So we invest in things that have not been done before, um, like uh, Underdog or Rebel, where we do, for example, uh, cross-link breaker, decalcification. Nobody is doing this right now. But if we would succeed doing that, that's going to be a unique product uh, with an enormous market potential. And of course, high risk, but the reward is enormous. And of course, venture capital gets that. Um, so yes, you might have to restructure your fund. You might have to talk to your partners differently, um, but there's a big, big upside and we want to show this with our uh, lighthouse investments that we do. Fascinating. Well, I, I'm a firm believer of that. And you touched upon two interesting things before we move on to the next section. Um, the first one is you go for the new technologies and you make one bet for, for every technology. Um, and when I mean technology, we often say in biology, we refer to a specific pathway. So often it's basically the first mover company in the field. Do you think that that can be, um, how often do you wait before you make a bet on a, on a certain field? So let's say in the field of senolytics or in the field of messenger RNA companies, or do you go with the first company that is driving the space and you think the first company has an unfair advantage that will start collect data as they go along and be the best? And then yeah. the second question that you touched upon there, you mentioned the link between uh, cryptocurrencies and the, their interest. I mean, there have been a couple of Twitter threads uh, quite recently about the link between 
crypto and longevity and that both are kind of trying to um, innovate in in very kind of old um, more more centralized industry one kind of being finance the other one being the traditional version of of, of sick care medicine um, do you think there is an additional link do you think we should get more people from cryptocurrencies interested in longevity or is that just naturally happening Okay, so to answer your first question is um, um, actually we don't invest in if if if, if you take a, uh, if you really look at it, we do not invest into uh, companies per se because it's not that the companies come along and then we invest them. We really help to build, especially our core startups. We help to build them. So it's usually in our experience it was a two to three year process. So get in contact with the researchers, follow the research. In most cases, we even sponsored their research for two or three years and then we'd help uh, assemble a team you need a ceo you need a good game plan you need a development plan um, and it's not that easy it's not like in like in tech where you just have a few developers they have a nice idea you give them some money everybody has a laptop and then they do some programming and there you go um, it, it's completely different. So um, it is a two to three year process. So really we know the people for quite some time before we go and there was the, uh, into the uh, into company form formation. It was the, with Underdog, with Revel, with Elastrin and with Selvi, uh, all the same. We really went into the field and looking at the technology and um, and uh, also this, why we do this is, yeah, these are lighthouse investments. And uh, yes, I, I think that the first mover, it, it's not an unfair advantage, it's just a lot of hard work. I mean, uh, uh, the uh, if I look at Revel or so, for example, where we try to break cost links, um, they have been doing research for 10 years on that. So, and then and then we've, we sponsored that research for, I think, three years. <laughs> and, and now we're taking it into the company and still it is a, a somehow at a research stage for another three years. So it's a lot of hard work and nobody else is doing that work right now. So we're doing the work that nobody is doing. And, um, and, and, and uh, yeah, we're doing this in, in, a, in a company, yeah. And uh, any notes on crypto and longevity? Oh, uh, well, um, the things that we do or that sense to or the hallmarks of aging approach is this um, basic, oh, let's, let's repair things that are broken. It's a very engineering approach. So it's it's really like going to the root, seeing what's going wrong, what's breaking down, and then trying to fix that. And that also uh, eliminates the need for complex markers. So if you see, if you have calcified tissue, you just decalcify it and you can measure the decalcification. So there's no need for an epigenetic clock, for example, to do that. And um, and uh, it's obvious if something calcifies like your kidney and you can decalcify it, it works better. So you get better rid of uh, uh, all the waste in your body. That's probably a very good thing. And um, engineers get that. The tech industry gets that. The crypto community gets that. And I just expect that over time, more and more tech investors will move into the rejuvenation field. Not so much the biotech investors, I think. Um, the funds are completely structured different. They have a different risk management, a different approach, um, a, a different risk profile. And uh, tech investors are used to making huge bets that pay, pay off like a hundred times or a thousand times. You know, this is what, what, what people in tech look for. And also, if you look at tech investing right now, um, the, the, the money that goes into tech startups dwarfs biotech investments. And biotech, you're talking about, oh, we do an IPO at 100 and 200 billion, a million, that's already something. 
I mean, three of our startups already turned unicorn horn uh, before even going public. And uh, we are in even pre-IPO, we're talking about hundreds of millions flowing into our startups to gain market share. Th that's a totally different ballgame. And I think we're going to see the same in rejuvenation biotech. Yes, and I think uh, we're both on the, on the same journey, trying to bridge the gap between technology and biology. And Michael, you recently made an incredibly impressive announcement of further 360 million that you're going to devote to fund rejuvenation research. So um, what do you plan to do with, with that uh, money? Is it going to be through your fund? Is it going to be creating companies? Is it going to be all of it? Can you give us a bit of a, an outline of your ambitious plan? Because yeah. you will have a, a decent budget to achieve quite a few things in the field. Yes. So um, that money, these 300 million euros or 360 million dollars uh, are in my venture capital company, Kizu. And they are used to either form new startups, but category opening startups or support or key startups on their way to, uh, uh, to the clinic and to create product. And the, the idea is that we, uh, can take, uh, stake, uh, we can take a strong lead in our key investments, uh, which currently we have uh, four of those and really support them uh, all the way um, uh, to, to, the, to the end product. And by um, taking a strong position, also encourage others to invest with us. So my, uh, I, I think that with uh, taking the 300 million, um, we could uh, enable another three to four times uh, the money in, in co-investments. Uh, so that's going to be a substantial amount of money that will really get our um, uh, products um, through the clinical phases to the market, to price optimization, and to really get it to the masses at a very low price. So, because I think this is what is what is needed most now in the market is success stories. I, I truly believe if we can show rejuvenation, for example, if we could show, I really hope for that, if we could show that we can remove plaque from the arteries uh, in the end by swallowing a pill every day, this is going to be revolutionary. And then people will understand, oh, that is rejuvenation. It's not this machine where people are pushed in and then you push in a 60-year-old and then you get a 30-year-old, but, oh, I just rejuvenate my arteries and I don't have a heart attack. Yeah, I get rid of DNA damage, then I don't have cancer. So that is rejuvenation. And you do this uh, in enough things, then you, you, you uh, keep a youthful body for quite some time. And uh, once people will understand that, the VC community will understand that, will encourage other researchers to do this. So this is why I said, okay, we have to do this because we have been very fortunate with our internet investments. Um, as I said, we have three unicorns where we have been the founding investors and, and still own substantial equity. And uh, I just want to use these resources to really drive the um, uh, 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 industry forward by creating successful companies. For sure. And I completely agree that we need a successful case study to really demonstrate the value and, and the purpose of this approach. And do you, have you carved out the percentage? What is for follow-on rounds in your current companies? Because as you've explained, you have built your current company. So do you want to maintain the, the majority could control over these companies, have them evolved, um, anything that you would have for creating new companies and who are your key partners on this journey? Often medical um, research happens in silos and aging kind of takes a step back to look at medicine instead of saying, oh, let's be hyper-specialized. Let's just say that many of these things 
that are likely to kill us just occur with aging and there are similar disease processes related to non-hallmarks of aging and, and other things. So who are your key partners? Obviously, SENS, Aubrey de Grey, um, who is missing? Um, who, what is missing in the ecosystem um, that would enable you to do more? Okay, so uh, to answer your first question, we're not going um, for control in our startups. We don't want to have the majority. I personally, I'm a strong believer in strong founders. So we want to have the founders in control. Like th That's not the case. We're usually in biotech because the, the founders are diluted to uh, uh, negligible. And, but in, it's completely different in technology. In technology, you need strong founders, and I uh, feel we have to have the same here. Um, we just want to uh, maintain a strong position to just help us uh, guide our startups and be there for them. For example, it's very helpful if there's an investment round and you directly commit as an existing investor. Let's say I do 25, 30, or 40 percent of that round. So that 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 helps the startup. That gives the gives confidence also to other investors coming in um, that also allows just non-biotech investors to come in because they say, okay, Kizu is there, they're taking the lead, uh, which doesn't mean uh, take the majority, but take the lead. So I can just follow on and this is already happening. Um, we have uh, a lot of tech investors going along with us. They just say, okay, let them do the work and, and we go along with it. But we also want to st stimulate, um, uh, stimulate the whole thing, yes. Okay. And anyone that, who are obviously sense, but any other key partners or oh, yeah, the key partners. Sorry, second question. Yes. So we are super open to networking. Um, we have one project running uh, that's called the the um, rejuvenation network uh, at Kisu. We're building a network of a really loose network of venture capitalists, uh, universities, tech transfer offices, and really to create a community because um, in in biotech, especially rejuvenation biotech, um, the the amounts of money that have to flow in the risk is very high and and people like to um, syndicate and to share the risk so we are super open to that we really invite others to to come in um, our main goal is to drive the industry forward to of course to drive the the um, our startups in the in this uh, in to um, prove our key goals that it's working it's inexpensive it's for everybody it's it's uncomplicated and it's a good business and uh, but uh, and this is also why we run the Undoing Aging Conference. Our conference is a big networking event. Yes, it's about science, but uh, hopefully next year we're going to have the, the 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 conference again. And the conference now has three tracks, and the, the one track is science, second track is startups, and the third track is uh, rejuvenation. Now, so what can I do now? And we're going to invite media as well. So we're going to have scientists, startups, investors, media, the blogger, but also the general media uh, to prove that, hey, there are things that you can do right now. There are the first analytics that can be applied today. And no, it's not for the rich. It's for everybody. I mean, you could take physitine as a supplement for, might be a very good analytic, and that's just $30 a month. So that's not for the rich. Everybody could just buy that from Amazon. Um, uh, to make that example. And so, yeah, I think networking and driving the whole thing forward is, 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 is very important. Thank you, Michael. And often we close with what you would like to see play out in the next uh, 20 years. But I think you've answered that in the sense that we're going to remove our cholesterol uh, with one pill and we're going to have one successful case study to kind of lead by example um, in this field of longevity. 
Um, and um, I guess what is the best way? Obviously, you are very active on Forever Healthy. Kizo Technologies is very transparent. You have a lot of information going on. Was is there any other good way for people to keep up with um, your your team's work and your work um, online? Well, you can uh, uh, go to our website. It's forever-healthy.org or kizu.com. Um, you can subscribe to our newsletter. We have Facebook groups. We do regular online meetups. You find that on our homepage as well, where we uh, talk about certain research that we do, our analysis that our rejuvenation are maximizing health teams. We have scientists uh, looking at uh, all the re um, latest research on certain topics and analyze that. So yeah, we have built a quite a community around that, or you can visit the Undoing Aging Conference. So we're very open. If you want to collaborate as an investor, write to ventures at kizu.com or find us on LinkedIn. Um, so we're really easy and we're very, very open um, uh, to communicate and share. Well, thank you, Michael. Thank you for finding the time and for sharing your um, impressive work. And we're very excited to have you in our network. And John, uh, over to you. Do you have any questions for in, in this field of longevity? Or are you waiting for your cholesterol pill before you ask it? Yeah, you, you covered it pretty well. You know, I, I'm still a young guy, but, uh, you know, we could all use the cholesterol pill to help us out a little bit, especially in the pandemic. So uh, we're, we're a few people have gained a COVID-19, not just gotten COVID-19, but uh, that's neither here nor there. But Michael, thank you so much for joining us on this week's SALT Talk. And thank you, everybody, for tuning into this week's SALT Talk. Uh, we love educating people on some of these massive breakthroughs that are taking place in the field of programmable biology and healthcare and life sciences uh, that Michael has helped leading and, and Dr. Dina has helped to, helping to lead as well. Uh, just a reminder, if you missed any part of this SALT talk or any of our previous episodes, you can access them on our website at salt.org backslash talks or on our YouTube channel, which is called SALT2. Uh, we're also on social media. Uh, Twitter is where we're most active, at SALT Conference but we're also on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. And again, please spread the word about these SALT Talks. We love educating people. These are all free, open for everyone to access. So if you found this conversation interesting, please share it with your uncle, your aunt, your grandfather, your, your dad, your mom, uh, and, and educate them about things that are going on in this space. But on behalf of Dr. Dina and the entire SALT team, this is John Darcy signing off from SALT Talks for today. We hope to see you back here again soon.